Welcome to Community Alliance Church. Wow. Woo. Hey, online audience. Hello. Good morning. Welcome to uh, Community Alliance Church this morning. So glad to have you all here with us today. I am super excited. Uh, one, because it's Sunday. It's beautiful weather outside. It's great to see you all today. But I am even more excited today because we've been looking forward to this series for a long time. We've known it's coming as staff. You're just finding out today, but it's called Follow. And, and I really believe that what we're going to be teaching this summer is, is some things that really, it could change your life. We're going to talk about some things that if you implement them in your life, it could just have such an impact. That's why I'm so excited to be the one that's able to come up today and just share some of what we're going to be talking about over the summer. And, and to get us started, I just want to ask you a question. You saw that video, Jack Sparrow from Pirates of the Caribbean. What would it be like in your life to have a Jack Sparrow compass? Do you remember how the compass worked in, in the video? It, it, it doesn't point to magnetic north like most compasses. Instead, that compass points in the direction of what the holder wants most. Some of you are thinking, I, I'd really like to have a compass like that. I was thinking about it. Whenever I sit down with couples that are trying to decide if they want to get married, it would really make my job easier just to hand one of them a compass like that and see if it points to the other person. And if it doesn't, I can say, we're just going to save your dad a lot of money, hon. <laughs> you can keep on shopping. Or, or if you ever get really frustrated, I've had this happen in the drive through menu. Like you go to Wendy's and you wait like 10 cars and finally you get up there and the car in front of you, you think, what have you been doing this whole time? How long does it take to decide what you want on your cheeseburger? It would just be nice to get out and hand them that compass and it would just point to the menu item and make life a little bit faster for everyone behind us. Or maybe in your life you're thinking, well, I really could use it because I'm facing like a, a big decision, a career decision. I'm facing a relationship decision. I'm, I'm facing a family or a money decision, and a compass like that would just be great. But then I was thinking too, would you even trust it? Would you even trust it if you had something like that in your life? Would it really even be a good idea for you to truly get what you desire most? Perhaps what would be better in your life would be to have a compass that doesn't point to what you desire most, but toward what would be best for you in your life. Perhaps you're sitting there thinking, I don't want to think about compasses this much on my first Sunday of summer. But this morning, we're going to be looking at a story in Scripture out of Mark chapter 12. If you want to be turning your Bibles there, you can go ahead and make your way. When, when Jesus has an encounter with a man who comes to him and asks him a question that is basically saying, in life, in life, is there a compass that will point me in the direction that is best for my life? As you're turning to Mark chapter 12, we're going to be in verse 28, and here's what's happening. Uh, some of the teachers of the law, or they're really the teachers of the religion of the day, the Judaism, they're coming and they're debating Jesus. They're playing this game called stump Jesus with questions and just a little clue. You don't have to go back and read. Jesus is winning. And so finally, one of the guys asked him this question in Mark chapter 12, verse 28. He says this, Jesus, one of the teachers came and heard him debating. He noticed that Jesus had given a good answer. He asked him, of all the commandments, which is the most important? Of all the commandments, which is the most important? Now, the question is not quite as black and white as you might think it is. It, it was pretty common for these teachers of the law, these religious guys, to sit around and debate. Now, as Americans, we'll have these debates like, you know, if Michael and LeBron played one-on-one, -on -one, who would win? Thank you. Thank you. 
Y'all need to go watch that. What was that uh, about the Bulls? I can't remember that video of the 10 series about Michael and the Bulls. Michael's better. Or maybe if you're not into sports, you're sitting there thinking, okay, ER or Grey's Anatomy? Well, these guys would sit around and they would talk about commandments. And if commandments played one-on-one, who would win? And really they're saying, what is the GOAT? What is the GOAT commandment? What's the greatest commandment of all time, because what they realized was sometimes in studying the commandments, and there were many of them, there were like 613 commandments of their, of their religion, and they back, went back through the Old Testament, they found that sometimes commandments were in conflict with one another. For instance, if you know the Ten Commandments, you might remember that one of them is honor your father and mother, and another commandment is do not steal. So they would have debates like, well, what would happen if, if your parents told you to steal bread to feed your family? Who would win? Which commandment do you follow? Or if you maybe hear, heard this other story in Luke chapter 14, one day Jesus was answering a question. He said this, if one of you has a child or an ox that falls into a well on the Sabbath day, Will you not immediately pull it out? This is a similar question, saying, okay, which commandment are you going to follow? If, if your child falls in a well, Scripture says don't do any work on the Sabbath, but Scripture says also do not murder, and if you let your child stay in a well, that would kind of be like murder, so which one wins? You see, these religious teachers, they would get kind of lost in the woods of the commandments. And I think that sometimes in our lives, we can get kind of lost in the woods of life, Right? We, we kind of wondered, what, what should we do? I mean, maybe, maybe you've just invested like four years and a ton of money in getting a business degree, but now you feel like God's calling you into ministry. You're like, what, what do I do? Or, or maybe you've been dating someone, and it's going really, really well, and it looks like there's a future for you, but, but you realize that your faith isn't on the same page, and you're conflicted. Like, what, what do I do? Or maybe you're dealing with some secret issue in your life, and it's really messing things up, but, but you're also afraid if you confess it to someone and try to get some help, it, it, they're going to shame you and, and you don't like the consequences of that. So like, what, what do you do? Maybe in your life you're facing some, some question like that. You're, you've been working hard and you've got a great job making great money, but it's, it's costing you a lot of time and your marriage is suffering. What do you do? And just like sometimes in our lives, we might look for a compass that will just point us in the direction of where we should go, this teacher is asking Jesus that same question. He's saying, in life, in life, is there a compass? There's a, there a command? Is there like, there's so many rules, but is there one rule that I can follow, one idea or guideline, that if I just follow this, it'll always point me in the right direction? And Jesus says this. He says, the most important one is this. He has their attention, and he says, look, if there's one thing you're going to do in your life, if there's one guideline you're going to follow, if there's one compass that has an arrow that you can always trust, it is this. And he says, love, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart. Love the Lord your God with all your heart. Right in the center of the question, in the center of the conversation, really in the center of this series we're calling Follow, is the heart. And as modern Americans, we often misunderstand what the heart is because we equate the heart with feelings or with emotions. In fact, you've probably heard this statement before, follow your heart, right? 
You've probably given this advice to someone before. Certainly have heard this advice from someone else. You walk down a lobby or an aisle in Hobby Lobby, you're going to see it on a sign. If you watch a movie, you're going to see a character or hear a character saying it. In fact, if you watch The Bachelor, every time he sends a girl home, he just says, I've got to follow my heart, which always makes them feel better, right? Not really. See, this is what our culture kind of believes. It says this. It says, if a human being is sort of has an intellectual side and an emotional side, then discovering who we really are or, or, or really our path for life is about kind of shutting out the intellectual or the logical side and, and, and discovering what's inside of us. Your inner desires. We've got to unlock those inner desires and that, really that inner compass that will point us. In fact, once you discover it, it really takes a lot of courage because the world's going to throw these logical thoughts at you, but sometimes you just got to follow your heart, even if it doesn't make sense, because your heart is really that emotion inside of you that points you in the direction. I, I saw one of the best examples of this in a speech that Steve Jobs, the, the, the late CEO of Apple, gave to a bunch of Stanford graduates in 2005. He put it this way in his speech. He said, don't let the noise of others' opinions drown, you, drown out your inner voice. And most important, have the courage to follow your heart and your intuition. They somehow already know what you truly want to become. Now, we hear this, and we're like, wow, Steve Jobs is so smart. But if we went back 2,000 years ago and asked sort of the ancient Greek and Roman contemporaries of, of Jesus, they would have actually said that Steve Jobs is an idiot because in their culture, they believe the exact opposite. Whereas we say that you've got to follow your heart and kind of shut out the logic, they would have said the opposite is true. The path of fulfillment in the ancient mindset was to subdue the passions and follow higher virtues like self-control or like, like courage or like wisdom. In fact, they would have said that following your heart is, is a bad idea because it takes courage. And courage is actually undermined by our passions. So the question for us today really is, what did Jesus think? See, we have all these different views of the heart, but when Jesus was talking about this, what was he thinking? Was he agreeing with his ancient contemporaries, or was he blazing a new trail that we now share in today, or was it something else? I, I think it's safe to say that Jesus' opinion of the heart would have been consistent with what Hebrew Scriptures would have taught. And even if you're like, I'm not really sure what I believe about Scripture, you have to admit Jesus was a Jewish rabbi. And so he went around teaching what Scripture taught. And if you, you are sure about Scripture, then you say, well, Jesus is actually God, and, and, and he would have agreed with it because Scripture is really the words that he breathed into written form. So what did Hebrew Scripture teach about the heart that shows us what Jesus was talking about? Well, in Hebrew, the word for the heart is the word lab. Lab. And sometimes when you read the Bible, I, I admit that we face modern issues that the Scripture is, is either somewhat silent about or it doesn't really speak loudly about. And so we're, it's a little bit tough to kind of read out of Scripture and apply it to our lives today. But thankfully, heart is not one of those issues because this word lab, it's used 600 times in one form or another throughout the Old Testament. It's all over the place. Scripture talks about the heart all the time. And today I'm not going to give you every example of what the Hebrew Scripture says about heart. You're welcome for that. But I just want to give you a broad stroke view of what Scripture teaches. 
Because what we're going to see is that Scripture, in, in talking about the heart, it doesn't pit the emotion against the intellect. Instead, it combines them into the view of what a person is. For instance, in, in 1 Samuel, when, when this lady named Hannah is not able to have children, her husband says to her, Hannah, why do you weep? And why do you not eat? And why is your heart sad? Or why are you having feelings of sadness? Now, we would use the word heart like this in our culture, but then it's interesting because Solomon comes along and says this in 1 Kings chapter 3, verse 9. He says, Give your servant a discerning heart to govern your people and distinguish between right and wrong, for who is able to govern this great people of yours? In other words, Solomon is asking that for the ability to think wise thoughts. So his discerning heart isn't just what he feels, but it's what he knows. And then the psalmist says in Psalm 84, Blessed are those whose strength is in you, whose hearts are set on pilgrimage. Or in other words, he's saying, whose hearts will and action. So our hearts are our emotions, our intellect, but also our will or our choices. In fact, we could say it this way. The biblical view of the heart is this. The heart is the center of a person's affection, attention, and action. So when the Bible talks about the heart, it's saying it's this combination of all three things in our lives. If you want to know who you truly are, if you really know really where your life should go, don't just use your brain. Don't just follow your heart. You've got to look at all three of these aspects in your life which makes a lot of sense with what Jesus says next in this verse in Mark chapter 12, because Jesus teaches this. He says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. And in studying this, what I realized was Jesus wasn't laying out four components, but instead he was taking one big idea and he was breaking it out into its three parts. In other words, he's saying, Love the Lord your God with all your heart. Therefore, love him with all your affection. Your relationship with God should have emotion. It should have passion. But also love the Lord your God with all your heart, which means love him with all your mind. Which means believe the right things about God. It's not just what you feel. It's what you know about him. But love him with all your heart, which means love him with all your strength. Love him with your action as well. Love him with the choices that you make. Now let's talk about what this means for our lives. Because I just threw a lot at you. But we're coming to this, this part here. Right? I just want to talk, what does this mean for us? You see, you might be here today listening to this online or in in this building, and you're thinking, like, I don't even know what I believe about Jesus. But this is what I think every person here can agree on. Whether you want to love God this way or whether you're even confident that there is a God to love this way, you want to be loved this way, right? Husbands, you don't want a wife. You don't want a wife who just, she shows actions of love around the house but internally thinks that she could have done better and is just angry and bitter with you all the time. You don't want just one component of love. Wives, you don't, you don't want a husband who knows intellectually that you're quite a catch, that you've got all these great qualities, but doesn't lift a finger around the house to show you any kind of love and doesn't feel any kind of emotional attraction to you. And, and if you have a friend, you don't want to have a friend who just has a joyful time with you but when you're not around, he just secretly thinks you're a moron and, and would never lift a finger to help you with anything. 
right? Like, in your love relationships with people, you don't want just one piece of it. You want to be loved for all of who you are with all of who someone is. And that's what Jesus is saying God wants too from us. See, sometimes when we look at our faith, we, we can boil our faith down to just one component. We, we can say faith is really about the affection. It's, it's about the soul. When we feel that way, then as long as we have good feelings in our faith, as long as I feel joy, as long as I feel peace, as long as I feel forgiveness, as long as I feel the right things, it doesn't really matter what I believe. It doesn't really matter how I live my life. And, and, and I see people do this all the time. They come to church on Sunday. They, they hear some great worship. They just get filled up. They get those good feelings back, but they're really not worried about what they really believe about Jesus outside of church or really how they're living their life because their faith is just about what they feel. I think that's a big problem in our culture. It's just faith is to make me feel good and to have those good affections in my life. Other people, and you've seen them out there, you've read their church signs, you've seen them on Facebook, really it's just about, faith is just about what we believe, it's all about the mind. So for them, faith just becomes about getting into Scripture and interpreting it correctly and believing accurately what God says. And as long as you believe right, it really doesn't matter how you feel or what you do, and it doesn't matter if you have compassion at all towards people who think differently than you. In fact, actually, sometimes the strategy is to not have compassion at all, to be angry. Maybe that'll force people to see it your way. It doesn't really matter what you do because you can just treat people horribly in what you say on Facebook, because you believe the right thing, and you're right. You know it. You're right, and they're wrong. But sometimes, too, I think faith can be boiled down to just, just our actions, right? It's about doing the right thing. I think social justice movements have to be really careful with this, because, because it can become just, as long as you're doing the right things, it doesn't really matter what you believe or how you feel, so it doesn't matter whether the good things that you do are motivated out of love or self-righteousness, whether they're motivated out of a belief in God or a rejection of God because you're, you're doing the right things. Now here's the other conclusion I think we can draw from what Jesus is teaching. Don't follow your heart in your life. Don't follow your heart in your life. See, following your heart or treating it like it's an emotional thing that guides you, it can liberate you for a little while, but eventually it's going to be exasperating. And it's going to damage people around you because we all know this, our emotions are fickle. And that voice inside of us, have you really ever listened to that person? He's a sociopath. <laughs> He's crazy. In fact, one day he'll want you to do one thing, the next day he wants you to do something else. And if we equate our heart to our mind, like the ancients did, that doesn't work either because we realize we're not computers. We don't just function on logic. I mean, if you've ever had a pet that you had to put to sleep, you might know it was the right decision so it wouldn't suffer anymore, but it doesn't change the sadness you might feel in your heart because a human is an emotional being. And, and even in your faith, if you take a biblical view of the heart, and you say, okay, it's these three components, that brings up trouble too because those three aspects sometimes are in conflict with each other. For instance, you, you, might, you might really know it's a bad idea to send a text message to your son's coach about him not playing enough 
and complaining, but in your heart you're angry because it's not fair that lousy kid gets to play all the time, and, and, and you're committed as a parent. You've said, I'm going to protect my child, so you're about to hit send. Like, those pieces of the heart are in conflict. Or, or your emotional passions might be saying, hey, I really should talk more to that cute, that cute guy at the gym. But your mind's telling you, wait a second, that's, that's how my friend blew up her marriage. That's how it started. And your, your, your commitment or your will side is saying, well, I, I've made a commitment in my marriage. You see, it, it, it's conflicting sometimes. So here's, here's what we've got to know. Don't follow your heart. Instead, we have to direct our hearts. That's what Jesus is teaching us. Don't follow your heart, direct your heart. Let me explain what this means. So, so in my car, I have a compass. Um, it's like says N or E or S, depending on which direction I'm heading. Maybe you have one in your car. So, so that compass, like let's say I'm hungry for burritos, and it's going to say, I think, southwest, because I'll be driving to Cranberry to go to Moe's to get a Joey bag of donuts, and Moe's has the free chips and salsa, which makes them better than Chipotle. It does. I don't care if we get a Chipotle and Butler. I'm going to still go to Cranberry. And, and so my way there is going to say southwest because that's the way I'm pointing my car. Or, or let's say I get some holes in my jeans, and I realize, well, I'm old now. I can't be cool anymore. I need some new jeans. It's going to say north because I'm going to drive to Grove City Outlets to get some blue jeans. Or let's say I need a vacation, and the beach is the best place for vacation. I love the beach. I can't wait to go. Uh, warm air, waves, toes in the sand. My car is going to say south on the compass because I'm headed to the beach. See, here's the thing about our lives. Our hearts are kind of like a car. They don't direct us where to go. They change based on where we're directing ourselves to go in our lives. Just like my car, the direction and the compass on my car is going to change based on where I'm directing my car. We, we can say it this way. The heart is not a compass that directs our lives. The heart is a compass that follows where we direct our lives. That's what Jesus is saying. He's saying, your heart's going to change based on where you direct your life. That's your compass. He's saying, your heart is a with-er. It's not the with. You love God with your heart. You pursue God with your heart. Your heart is a pursuer. It's not the pursued. Your heart is the lover. It's not the beloved. Your heart was made to be led, your heart is not made to be followed. So don't follow your heart. Direct your heart to follow. Love the Lord your God with all your heart. Saying, don't follow your affections. Direct your affections to follow God. Don't follow your thought life Direct your thought life to follow God. Don't follow wherever your choices take you, your will or your actions. Direct your actions to follow God. Because your heart was made to be led. It wasn't made to be followed. And that's what this series is going to be all about. What we do in our lives to direct our hearts to follow God. Now there's a few connections I need to make in our final moments together that are going to help set us up for the rest of the series. Here's the first connection. 
Let's go back to what Jesus said in Mark chapter 12, verse 30. He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. See, what we don't know as 21st century Westerners that every person listening to him that day in first century Israel would have known was that Jesus wasn't just making up new content. In fact, he was quoting something that each person there would have been able to finish if Jesus had just stopped in the middle of it. He, he was quoting what was known in their culture as the Shema. It, it, it is Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 and 5. The Shema was something that every Jewish person had to say twice each day. The, the, the most comparable thing I think that we have is the Pledge of Allegiance, where, where kids say that every day of school for 180 days. And just like the Pledge of Allegiance, here's what I know, is if I started to say, I pledge allegiance, you're probably going to do three things just automatically. One, you're probably going to cross your heart, you're going to stand up, and you're going to start looking for a flag somewhere. Just what you were trained to do. And as soon as you hear those words, you knew what comes next. And just as soon as Jesus' audience would have heard him say these words, they would have been reminded of what comes next in Scripture after this part that they recited all the time. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 6, this is what comes next. Scripture told them, these commandments I give to you today are to be on your hearts. Okay, these aren't commandments that are mental. They're not commandments that you just follow. They're something that's internal that you follow with all of who you are. They're to be on your hearts, and here's how you do it. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home, and when you walk along the road, when you lie down, and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. In other words, he's saying, these things, this is what you take into every area of your life. It's not just something you do on Sunday. This is something that you incorporate into all of your life because following is habitual, not occasional. Just as you take your thoughts and your emotions and your choices into every aspect of your life, applying this idea of directing your heart to follow or directing your heart to love God with all of it is habitual. It has to go into every aspect of your life on not just a daily basis, but almost even an hourly moment-by-moment -moment basis. But don't get confused because habitual does not mean ritual. Habitual is not ritual. See, rituals conform God's heart to ours. Rituals say, God, I'm doing this. Look, I'm performing. Now you have to act because you said you would. I did this thing. Now you have to do your thing. The habitual doesn't conform God's heart to ours. It conforms our heart to God. And that's what we're going to be talking about in this series is habits in your life that you can do that direct your heart toward God. They're not habits that force God to do what you want him to do. They are habits that God has shown us in following that will change our hearts to be like his. Because following is habitual, not occasional, but habitual is not ritual. Now here's, here's the second connection. See, the day that this guy came to Jesus and said, okay, what's the goat? What's the greatest commandment of all time? Jesus must have been in a really good mood because it was like buy one commandment, get one free day. Jesus just says, okay, I got your attention. Just kind of like your kids say, is there anything I can do to help? And you might say, not just one thing, you're going to give them a whole list. Jesus says, while I'm at it, 
Do this too, he says. The second one is like this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. The, the English grammar teacher I had in high school, her voice comes into my brain every time I read this sentence because there is a singular and a plural. And, and Jesus, you just failed the grammar test, right? If this was an English grammar test, Jesus would not have passed. But we have to realize he is not speaking English grammar. Jesus is speaking eternal grammar. And in eternal grammar, following is singular and plural. And this is what I mean by that. Following God is not just singular or vertical. It's not just between us and one God. See, when we direct our hearts to God, He's not just going to change our hearts toward Him. He's going to change our hearts toward other people. Because following is not just singular, not just vertical, it's also horizontal and plural. In that it's plural in that it changes our hearts toward others around us. And so in this series, we're going to be talking about some habits in our lives that are not just changing our perspective and our relationship with God, but we're going to talk about habits that help us in pursuing God as we love our neighbors, as we love other people. It's not just habits that change this, the vertical, the singular, it's plural. Now here's the last connection. Here's the last connection. Jesus gives this answer, and then the teacher says back to him, Well said, teacher, the man replied. You are right, to which Jesus was probably thinking, well, thanks, I, I, I appreciate that. I was worried what you would think about what I as God thought. So, but then what the man says is interesting. You're right in saying that God is one and there is no other but him. And instead of what saying maybe a sarcastic answer, Jesus gives an answer that is just remarkable. This is what he says to him in verse 34. He said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. You are not far. What does he mean by that? Well, there's a bit of a debate as to what Jesus was talking about. Some, some think that he was saying to him, you've almost got it figured out. You've almost got that puzzle solved. You're, you're really, really close. Just keep trying. But, but in the context, I, I think Jesus might have met something else that just makes a little bit more sense. See, this man, he, he, was, he was sincere. He, he was asking an honest question. He was saying, how, how do I have a relationship with God? And, and it really came down to this idea of directing his heart to follow and pursuing God with all of his heart. But for this man, the idea of God was, was sort of God is holy and separate, and I'm, I'm trying to follow a God that seems distant, and Jesus is saying, you are not far. In other words, the God that you want to follow, the God that you are directing your heart towards, is only a few feet away. You are not far. In other words, he's saying, I, I, I am your God. All of your love that you want to direct toward God, you, you can just give it to me. You can, just, you can just follow me. He says it a little differently in John. Jesus puts it this way. He says, my sheep listen to my voice. I know them, and they follow me. In verse 30, he says, I and the Father are one. And Jesus is saying to the man, you're not far. You can follow me. I am right here. I am your God. And that's the final connection. In this, in this series, we're going to talk about this idea. Don't follow your heart. Direct your heart to follow 
Jesus. See, here's the thing. Our hearts were made to pursue, not to be pursued. Our, our hearts were made to love, not to be the beloved. But Jesus, Jesus knew he had to take the first step. So Jesus pursued us first. He loved us first. He came to this earth and was not far so that we could follow him. And today I just want to ask you the question, have you chosen, has you, have you chosen to follow him in your life? See, see, that's the message that Jesus wanted to convey to this man. Your love for God can be placed on me because the love from God was placed on me first and I brought it to you here on this earth. And I closed that gap. In fact, there's going to be a mantra in this series that, that, that I think that would really apply to our life. See, the culture that we have, the mantra is follow your heart, right? And I, I want to take that mantra and apply it to this series, but I don't want it to be a, a, a mantra of liberation or declaration. I want it to be a mantra of supplication. I think we can have this mantra, Jesus, may I follow your heart. And today I just want to ask you the question, have you given your heart to Jesus? Have you stepped out and said, I want to give you my heart? See, I think it just makes so much sense. You've probably heard us say before, maybe you heard in Sunday school, ask Jesus into your heart. And maybe you've thought, like a little kid, well, he's kind of living in a box inside of me. Or maybe you thought it's like an emotional decision. But Jesus says, no, 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 I want all of it. I want your emotions. I, I want your thoughts. I want your choices. Give your whole heart to Jesus. Have you, have you prayed this prayer in your life and said, Jesus, I, I want to follow you. I want to follow you. As we close today, I want to give you the opportunity. We're going to talk about so many things that you can do in your life throughout the series. It's going to be, I just can't wait. But if you haven't given your life to Jesus, it's just going to be a ritual. It's not going to be anything in your life that changes your heart. So I want to ask you to bow your heads today. As we prepare to head into summer, I just want to ask you that really, really serious question is, have you given your heart to Jesus? Have you said, Jesus, I, I want to follow you with all of my heart. May I follow your heart? If you haven't done that, I want to just lead you in a prayer. This is just really words that help express what's in your heart, in your thoughts, in your emotions, and in your choices, in your will. But you can pray this and say, Jesus, Today, I want to give you my heart. And I pray that you'll take your heart and place your heart in me. Change, change me to be like you. I've realized I've made a mess of my life in so many ways. I, I, I'll call it sin. I ask that you'll forgive me for that. But from this day forward, I'm, I'm choosing to follow you. I give you my heart. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. I am looking forward to spending this summer with you all. It is going to be fantastic. Now, I just want to say, if, if you prayed that today, would you let us know? Because there's some specific information we want to pass along to you that will help you get started in that journey. And so if you would be able to let us know by just doing one simple thing, if you text YES to Christ, I think we can put it back to you guys, YES to Christ 
to 94000. And here's, this is anonymous. We don't know who you are. The only thing we know is your phone number. This isn't about getting your information. It's about helping you to take a next step in your journey. So if you made that decision, if you would be willing to text us and let us know. Thank you for being here today. I am said it a hundred times. I'm, wait, continue this summer. Let me have a prayer for you, and then we'll let you head out into the rest of your Sunday. God, thank you so much for what you're going to do through this series. I thank you for sending Jesus so that we can follow him to you. May that be our heart's cry. Jesus, may I follow your heart. Pray this now in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. Have a great Sunday. See you all next week.